Hello, and welcome to Inside the Post-Dispatch, the podcast that brings you behind the scenes of our downtown St. Louis newsroom. I'm Jacob Barker, a reporter here at the Post-Dispatch. And remember, you can support local journalism by subscribing at stltoday.com slash subscribe. Uh, today, we've got uh, Pulitzer Prize winning Metro columnist Tony Messenger with us. That's a, that's a recent title edition. Uh, because Tony got the news this week uh, when the Pulitzer Prizes were announced, the, the highest honor in journalism, uh, that uh, Tony had won for commentary for a series on how rural courts in Missouri charge low-level offenders for the time spent in jail and ongoing hearings and how that leads to a cycle of, of debt and poverty in Missouri's courts. So, Tony, congratulations. Thanks, Jacob. Yeah. Pretty exciting week. Yeah, yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. So, uh, well, first of all, did you, uh, I guess, what <laughs> did you know? Was this a complete surprise? Did I you did know not, you were in contention? I did not know. I had been uh, nervous, and uh, it was the sort of series that had drawn enough attention where People were talking about it as a potential Pulitzer winner. I would get tweets about it, and and I had been interviewed about the series in in the New York Times and the Washington Post for stories they were doing on on the topic. And so I, you know, I knew that it had some attention, and I and I I wanted to believe that I had a chance to win, but I had no idea. And so the you know the video that uh, David Carson shot. Um, of of what happened when I won, that was all just raw emotion because, uh, as I told David that morning, I had thought about it, uh, you know, probably more than than you should. Um, <laughs> it's not why we do this work, but uh, it's it's that ultimate uh, prize that validates a hard career, and uh, um, and so it was it was incredibly exciting when I won. I can't I can't compare it to any other moment in my career. Yeah. Well, well, well deserved after a, a long, prestigious career in, in journalism, uh, particularly in uh, at Missouri newspapers. We should note you became the Metro columnist, what, two, three years ago? Yeah, now? 2015, I yeah. became the Metro columnist in started in September. And uh, before that, I was the editorial page editor. And before that, I worked on the editorial board and, uh, and nominated I, for uh, a Pulitzer. Right? Yeah, I was a, I was a Pulitzer page. finalist uh, along with Kevin Horrigan in 2015 for our series of editorial on Ferguson, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, I was hired by the Post-Dispatch in 2008, was a Capitol correspondent, worked in the Capitol. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, let's start at the beginning on this series. Um, how did this issue get onto your radar, and, um, you know, when did you first start writing about it? So 2017 was actually when I first started writing about the idea of court costs creating this constitutional problem between poor people having access to their courts. Um, I wrote a series actually in 2017 on uh, an ongoing dispute in Missouri over a court cost in which a lot of people in municipalities are paying a $3 charge to help pay for sheriff's retirement funds. And it opened the doors to the concept that we have a lot of court costs in Missouri, and it makes it harder for people without means to be able to have the same access to their courts that somebody who has some money might have. So I wrote a little bit about that. And then I wrote in uh, mid-2017 about a couple of cases in St. Francis County where there was one judge. uh, She's no longer a judge, the voters uh, center packing, but there was a judge named Sandra Martinez 
who had been overturned in cor- uh, by the appeals court and the Supreme Court a couple of times for specifically doing this thing, putting people in jail because they couldn't afford to pay their court costs. And, and she would find a probation violation and send them to prison. And one of the people that I ended up writing about was this woman named Victoria Branson. And I wrote about her case, and uh, she was in prison at the time that I wrote about her. Um, Christmas that year, uh, she sent me a text Christmas morning. She was out of prison, and she just said thank you. And she credited me for her being out of prison. I, I still don't know to this day if, if my column had anything to do with it. She believes it did. Um, and she texted me again on New Year's Day. She was just so appreciative of her new freedom. And um, those texts really meant a lot to me. And I wrote about them in January uh, of, of 2018. And after I wrote that column, that column was interesting because it was it was me sort of really feeling connected to uh, how happy I made her uh, in terms of, of, of her having this new life. But, but in that column, I talked about Ferguson, and I talked about, uh, you know, the problems that, that we uncovered uh, in 2014 and 2015 that are very much related to what I've been writing about in the last year or two, and that's that poor people were being abused by their municipalities and their municipal courts uh, mostly because they were poor and they would get traffic ticket upon traffic ticket and then warrants out for their arrest and then jail time. And the courts were being used to make people be stuck in poverty. And that was Victoria Branson's life. That was the life of, of so many people who grew up in North St. Louis County. And what I discovered after I wrote about Victoria's story is that's the life that a lot of people in rural Missouri are are leading, but with a slightly different twist. Um, it wasn't until months after I wrote about Victoria that I started to really understand what's happening in, in rural Missouri, and that is that in almost every county in Missouri that isn't in St. Louis, Kansas City, Columbia, or, or, Jop, or uh, Springfield, um, if you go to jail, you get a bill for your time in jail, 30 bucks a day, 35 bucks a day, 50 bucks a day, uh, depending on the county. And when you get out of jail, that becomes your biggest cost. The other court costs, you know, 10 bucks for victims uh, compensation fund and some of those things are relatively minor. But you spend 30 days in jail on a small misdemeanor charge, as mm-hmm. a lot of people do, even without a conviction. They're there on pretrial detention because they can't afford bail. Mm -hmm. They get a bill for that 30 days, and now they've got a $1,000 or $1,500 bill. And then the judge calls them back to court. They've served their time. They're done. But he schedules them for a hearing that they call a payment review hearing or a show cause hearing and says, you owe 50 bucks a month Mm -hmm. until you, you you pay off your debt. You miss one of those payments. You miss one of those hearings. The judge puts you back in jail, Mm -hmm. calls it a probation violation or a contempt of court charge. Some of the judges do it differently. But the bottom line is you're in jail because you can't afford to pay the jail bill that they gave you for the time you already served. And then you get a new jail bill. Mm -hmm. And it's just a cycle that keeps these people stuck in poverty. And uh, as I started writing about these stories, and it all started with Victoria Branson, I just met all of these people that had been living in this world, and they all knew about it. 
You talk to anybody who spent any time in county jail in Missouri, they all know about this. And they just thought that's that's the way it is. Hmm. So they all knew they'd be they'd be facing a big bill when they when they got out. They they absolutely did. I wrote uh, about a woman who lives here in St. Louis named Allison Rapp, who in 2006 ended up in Camden County Court. Uh, and I'm going to get the phrase wrong, but she said that that the people in the jail there had a phrase, um, you know, come 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 for vacation, uh, come back on probation. Uh, I mean, it was like it was just they knew that that was the scheme that the sheriff, the county commissioners, the judges, they all worked together to try to use that jail bill as a fundraising tool um, to help some of these counties that maybe they've lost their manufacturing, they, they, they no longer have uh, a good tax base, which is really the same story that we dealt with uh, uh, in 2014 with all the municipalities in St. Louis County. Mm-hmm. They turned to the courts as a tax, uh, as a as a fundraising tool, right. and judges become tax collectors. Hmm. And then it disproportionately affects the poor because if you can afford to bond out, you don't have to worry about right. that jail. Because bill, right? what uh, that that's. That's the part of the story that ties this to the entire uh, issue of criminal justice reform. It all starts with bail. In, in all of these cases that, that, that I've been writing about, you get somebody who's arrested on a relatively small offense. And most of these people that I've talked to, they admit they did what, what they were accused of. They stole. They, they violated an order of protection. They, they uh, drove while drunk. They, they, they did things that, that, that our society considers crimes, and they were willing to, to serve the time for those crimes. But in many of these cases, they spent significant time in jail before they were convicted of anything simply because they were poor. And they didn't have uh, bond hearings. Uh, they didn't have good access to public defenders. They didn't have uh, they weren't able to get a bond reduction. And so they were just stuck in jail. And what happens? You're in these awful county jails that are, you know, third world conditions in some cases. When you look at St. Francis County and Dent County in particular. Um, and the prosecutor comes to them after 30 days and says, you don't want to be here anymore, do you? And they said, no, well, you know, plead guilty and we'll just give you time served. But they don't tell them when you get out, you're going to have a bill. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pay that bill, we're going to put you in jail again. Wow. Um, well, you mentioned, you know, this this is being used as a kind of a, a fundraising tool of sorts for the government. But it's it's not just the, the local governments there and the, the courts there that are making money off this. There were some private companies that were that were profiting off of this system too, right? Yeah, the part of the scheme that, that uh, frankly, I need to get back to that I haven't done enough reporting on is that almost all of these counties, and this is something that's uh, similar to St. Louis. St. Louis has this situation too, and in fact, there's a, there's a lawsuit filed by Arch City Defenders uh, dealing with this situation. But almost all of these counties use private probation companies. Um, which gets to the larger issue again. Missouri, as a, as a state, has decided that taxes are evil, that we're no longer going to, you know, we're no longer going to pay for roads and schools and probation officers. Mm-hmm. So if you're uh, involved in a misdemeanor in almost every county in Missouri, there's no probation officers. The state probation officers, which generally are pretty professional, are no longer overseeing you. Instead, it's a private probation company. And those private probation companies are now overseeing a lot of these people even before they've been convicted of anything. So what happens, for instance, in Dent County is the judge there 
uh, also a judge, Brandy Barrett, who's no longer uh, there. But so I don't know if it's completely changed there. But the 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 judge uh, to let you out of jail has you sign these release conditions. And part of the release conditions is you have to go to the private probation company and drug test, even if it's not a drug charge. So I wrote about uh, a, a couple of women in Dent County, uh, Amy Murr, Brooke Bergen, Leanne Vanderman, who all had non-drug chart related charges. But to get out of jail on pretrial release, they had to agree to be supervised by private probation. So now they have to pay the private probation company. Then they have to pay the private probation company to do drug testing. Then, if they fail a test or there's a questionable test, they have to pay to send it to a to a, an actual lab to do the the real test. Um, and then, if the private probation company says you missed a you missed a meeting, we think you uh, you're not taking our calls correctly. You uh, failed the test. Then the private probation company says to the to the prosecutor, uh, violate them on their probation, and then they go to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, before they've been convicted of anything. This private probation company, uh, and again, there's multiple of these companies, and they're all over the state, their incentive is profit. Right. That's, that's you know, nothing wrong with that. That's that's fine. But it, it it's a profit incentive that gets in the way of what justice is. You know, probation companies are supposed to help people out of their uh, – uh, conviction situation and help them get back into life and make good decisions and all of those sorts of things. The The only incentive these private probation companies have is, you know, if we send them to jail again, mm-hmm. we make more money. Right. right. We make them come back for, for drug testing. We make them come back for this, that, and the other thing. And so all of these rural cases that I look like, uh, that I look at, when you look on CaseNet, the public file, it, it they all look very similar. Um, and what the private probation companies were doing in some counties with the okay of the prosecutor and the and the judge is they were actually putting drug test results on a publicly available, uh, you know, court website. Um, I wrote about this one woman uh, who's who who allegedly failed a test. Well, failed test shows up. It's there for anybody in the community to see. Oh, she must wow. be using drugs. Wasn't necessarily arrested on a drug charge, but that's the way it is. So um, it's, it's, it's a thread of a, a massive tapestry of, of criminal justice reform that's needed in this state. And um, one of the things that makes me value the Pulitzer the most is that it takes this issue and puts it on a national stage so that reporters all over the country can look at it and wonder, is this happening in my state? Right. And and hopefully start taking a look at that, and we can start really as a nation recognizing, have we forgotten about our Constitution? Have we forgotten about the civil rights that apply to poor people as well as people that have money? Yeah. So when, when you start, I mean, it seems like, you know, for for you know, the last year, at least once a week, you've, you've had a column on this. When you, when you started, did you kind of see this as a series or did it just kind of happen? It just kind of happened. It was it was really unusual because I've written series before where I sort of thought right, right when I was into something that I need to break this down and mm-hmm. I really need to go after this. But this was one of those things where I wrote about Victoria Branson. Uh, I wrote about uh, a, a couple of other cases in St. Francis County and started getting a bunch of tips from there. And then I got a call from Michael Barrett, who's the head of the State Public Defender's Office. And he had hired a public defender named Matthew Mueller, 
uh, around the time I started doing this, actually a little bit before, and, and made him senior bond litigation counsel. And Matthew Mueller's job was to go around and find the cases like what I've been writing about. He was doing this, you know, separately of what I was doing, and we were sort of on a similar track. And he was filing appeals in these cases and basically saying, um, these folks are being held in jail illegally. There's nothing in the statute, in the bail board statute, that allows you to to count jail costs as a court cost Mm -hmm. and thus use the court system to collect them. They're supposed to be collected civilly. These people should not be held on warrants. Yeah. They should not. Which be, means giving them to a debt collection. Right, giving yeah, them to yeah. debt. And, and actually, in the, in the Missouri law, it's even more specific than that. It goes to the Office of State Court Administrator, and then it doesn't go to collection, but the Office of State Court Administrator can use that money, uh, can use that, um, those, those bills to, as, a, as a hold off against uh, income tax or against hunting licenses hmm. or, or things like that. So there's a specific remedy in law that the judges weren't following. Hmm. And that's ultimately what the Supreme Court ruled is. This is what the law says. You got to start following it. Um, and so Mueller had filed many of these appeals. And so I started talking to him and Michael Barrett about these cases and they could only work on cases that had originally uh, uh, generated in the public defender's office where they already had a, a particular interest. And some of the cases I was writing about were, were those kinds of cases. Some of the people I wrote about uh, and continue to write about were never in the public defender's office, so they're not necessarily going to be involved in an appeal. Um, but what the state public defender's office helped me realize was was how endemic this problem was, that it was all over the state. And that's when I started to realize this is a series. This is something that's ongoing. I've got to uh, to just dive into this really seriously. Hmm. Why, why is it? I mean, the, the, the board bills specifically, the charges for time spent in jail, why why is that mostly a rural phenomenon? Why, why is that not happening in the metro areas? I think part of it is because there's just a recognition in the metro areas by the judges that, that that's a ridiculous thing to do. We, we, we pay taxes for jails. We pay taxes for our judicial system. They exist to protect us, um, uh, you know, protect our own rights from, from, you know, use them to put people who have violated the law in jail and keep society saved. That is that is a part of what we pay taxes for. Um, I think the judges in the in the in the metro areas, perhaps because they aren't elected judges, but they are chosen through the Missouri plan, uh, the nonpartisan court plan in which uh, there's just a different process by which we 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 select our judges in the metro areas. I think there's a culture that recognizes we don't need to be looking for other ways to be making money off of our jails. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the debate we're having in St. Louis over close the workhouse. We're trying to have a debate of, over whether or not we need to get rid of our worst jail, not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not not expand it. So I think part of it is just sort of a a, a, a different mentality and understanding of the judicial system. Part of it might just simply be tax base. Mm-hmm. The, the, the metro areas, while they struggle for tax base in some areas, generally have a, a stable enough tax base to be able to pay for their judicial system. Mm-hmm. And maybe some of these counties don't. And I think that's something that some of these counties are going to have to start thinking about. Right. Um, does every county in Missouri need a jail? Yeah. 
do they do they need to start cooperating and, and perhaps thinking about some regional cooperation and some other things? So uh, I, I don't know why, but it, it, it is interesting. And here's the other thing that's interesting. There are two rural counties in opposite ends of the state, uh, uh, McDonald and I believe it's Stoddard. I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting exactly now, but I wrote about it several months ago. There's two rural counties that don't charge a, a uh, board bill. Right. All the counties around them do. All the other counties in their judicial circuit do, but they don't. And I and I talked to one of the county commissioners uh, uh, in his county who had been there a long time, and he said, "We just don't think it makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Why 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 would you charge poor people for staying in jail? It's not like they asked to go there." Right. right. Um, and I think that's the mentality that is overtaking the state right now as my series continues to have an impact and people are reading it and the and the attorney general weighs in and the supreme court weighs in and the legislature debates it i think there's a growing understanding that just charging these uh jail board bills doesn't make a lot of sense Mm -hmm. uh and i hope that's maybe the next step of of where the debate goes yeah well um Let's uh, recap. Yeah, what what has happened? You already mentioned the the state public defender's office has has taken some of these cases to the Missouri Supreme Court, and and there's been a ruling, uh, right, saying that right. that these local courts weren't necessarily following state statute. Right. So in 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 March, the Missouri Supreme Court ruled in two cases, George Ritchie and John Wright, um, that their board bills um, were illegal because they had they had gone to jail. They had they had been given a bill. The, the the original bill was was under law, but then they were called back before the judge again, and held in jail again, and given larger board bills again because they either missed a court date or couldn't afford to pay. And and the judge basically said, "You're being held in jail because you're not paying your your jail board bill." So everything after that first board bill was determined to be illegal. All of the process that the judge used to call people back to the court every month for years uh, and raise the jail board bill again and again, all of that was determined to be illegal. The law says quite clearly, you can you can charge the jail board bill, but if it's not paid, you don't have a criminal remedy. You can't mm-hmm. hold them in contempt. You can't uh, uh, keep bringing them to court. You can send the bill to the Office of State Court Administrator, and that state office can try to collect it uh, in a civil fashion. And so the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that the the practice that I've been writing about is illegal. It didn't say you can't charge the jail board bill, right? Uh, but it says you can't use the court system as a as a collection service, basically. And so that was a tremendous ruling. The Missouri House, around the same time, passed almost unanimously a bill that that would take it hopefully even a step further and basically say that you cannot collect use the courts to collect court costs um, that 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 poor people can't afford to pay um, while threatening them more jail time in other words you can send those court costs to civil collection and if, if they have you know a civil collection remedy people have to you know, file bankruptcy or get bad credit or whatever because they're not paying their court costs. That's not an unreasonable uh, burden, is is what the legislation says. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't keep threatening threatening poor people with jail time because they can't afford to pay their court costs because that's what creates the two tiered system. Um, 
if 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 I get uh, charged with something and I can afford to pay my court costs, I'm free of further legal consequence. Right. If 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 you're poorer than me and and you're indigent under the law and you can't afford to pay those court costs, now you're facing you know further jail time, further uh, costs, and that sort of thing. That's not what our constitution calls for. And so, the that. That bill has has passed the House. It's in the Senate. Um, it's going to get complicated now as legislative matters do because it's been attached to another bill that may not be very good. And mm-hmm. so there's, there will be some questions now in that debate as to whether or not that bill uh, ultimately passes. But the legislature is clearly engaged in the issue. Um, and I think that's a real positive. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the Supreme Court uh, ruling real quick. Um, and, but you've noted, wasn't there a, uh, an instance where a judge uh, in one of these counties did, was not following the, the ruling? Yeah, there's already at least one judge, and, and I think I've identified an, another one, although I haven't written about it yet. There's a judge in Caldwell County um, named Jason Canoy, and already since the court uh, Supreme Court ruling came out, he is still holding payment review hearings and calling people before his court. And what he did in reaction to the Supreme Court ruling was, in a couple of cases, he took the jail board bills and he said, okay, now I'm going to send that to the sheriff and the sheriff will try to collect. Well, first of all, that's not what the Supreme Court said and that's not what the law says. And so now you have this situation where you have poor people in Caldwell County having their sheriff try to collect a bill. Well, if you've been in trouble with the law in your county and the sheriff's trying to collect a bill, now you're freaking out again. Mm-hmm. Now you think I might get in, you know, I might have some some judicial harm again. And so they're scared. They don't know what they're going to do. And the the sheriff, from what I understand, is basically threatening them, not explaining to them, look, this is just a civil collection. Hmm. So so that's going on. And then the other thing that I think is just really devious and unfortunate, and and it's happened in, in Caldwell County, it hasn't happened in some of the other counties, is some of these people that I've been writing about have been paying for years. So they paid hundreds or thousands of dollars toward board bills that maybe were $10,000, and now they're down to, you know, six, seven, eight thousand $8,000, whatever. All of this time they were paying that money. They're only actual legal court costs, the court costs that we all pay if we go to a, you know, have a court case. There's a domestic violence fee, a crime victim's fee. They're, they're all relatively small fees that, that don't go to the county usually, that go to, to various state purposes. Those costs are 100 bucks, 150 bucks, maybe, you know, 200 bucks at, at, at most. Mm-hmm. So in Caldwell County, what Judge Canoy did after the Supreme Court ruling is it said, all that previous money that you've paid us, all those hundreds and thousands of dollars, we're still going to apply that to the jail board bills that the Supreme Court now says were mostly illegal. And so he's saying to these folks, you still owe your original court costs. Yeah. So he's still scheduling them for a show cause hearing on their original court costs. Now, hopefully they'll be able to come up with in a month or two the the hundred bucks or hundred and fifty bucks they may owe. But 
But that, to me, is unbelievable, and it's in direct contradiction to what's happening in Dent County, where the presiding judge, when when presented with a couple of these cases after the Supreme Court ruling, not only stopped the hearing process, but waived the jail board bill, mm-hmm. said the cause of justice and fairness says that, that this, this jail board bill just goes away. And that, to me, is what should be happening all over the state. But there's thousands of dollars at stake and counties want their money. Yeah. Is, is there any appetite in the legislature for addressing board bills, jail, jail board bills in general, like, like, you know, like jails in the metropolitan areas not, not charging for it too? I, I think there is, but it won't be easy. Uh, the sponsor of the bill that, that g- got filed because of my series, uh, uh, Bruce DeGroote, Republican from Chesterfield, has said he wants to get rid of the jail board bill. His intention would be to get rid of that bill entire, or that charge entirely. Uh, he said he didn't find the appetite for it in the Senate in terms of, of, of adjusting his bill, amending his bill this particular year. But when that bill was before the House, there were multiple people that testified on the right and the left that suggested that they would support getting rid of the uh, the jail fee altogether. There were multiple lawmakers on the right and the left who suggested that they would get rid of that, they would support getting rid of that fee. Now, when push comes to shove, if a bill gets filed to do that, and that's where it'll likely have to happen, is in the legislature, not the Supreme Court. If that happens, you're going to have counties uh, and and sheriffs that are going to come down to the Capitol and say, you're taking our money away. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to take our money away, what are you going to do about it? Well, that's that's a good debate to have. Mm-hmm. I think the legislature should welcome that debate. Mm-hmm. This, this is the amount of money you're collecting in board bills. We're going to take that money away because it's a ridiculous way for us to, to fund our jails. And then let's have the debate on how the state and or the counties are going to fund those jails. There's a provision in state law in Missouri that allows for regional jails. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of those counties get together under the provisions of that law and say, let's have you know 50 county jails in Missouri rather than 114 or, or however many we have. We probably have close to that um, in the state. So, so, so maybe that discussion needs to take place. Maybe the discussion that says, why should we fund jails any differently in rural Missouri than we do in urban Missouri uh, has to take place. Maybe part of the discussion is the sheriffs and the and the county executives and the county commissioners come to the state lawmakers and say, we don't like the way you're you're providing us funding for law enforcement. Let's work on that. But I think that debate has to happen. Um, and there's two ways for it to happen. The legislature can either file a bill to try to get rid of jail board bills and, and, and start that debate and see what happens. Or some of the folks that have been uh, uh, involved in the jail board bill issue from the public defender's office to several national civil rights law firms, uh, a couple of which have raised a question as to whether or not the jail board bill is even constitutional because in its very existence, it, it creates the potential for a two-tiered system between rich and poor. Hmm. I, I think there is a possibility that somebody files a case in which that becomes a constitutional question for the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the cleanest way to do it would be for the legislature to handle it. I don't think it's going to happen this session. Yeah, probably a lot quicker, too. Yeah. So, All right. Well, 
Tony, hey, thanks for, for taking the time out. Congratulations again. And and it's it's a debate that, that is going on and can't be ignored because of the, the work you've done over the last couple of years highlighting it. So Thanks a lot, Jacob. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us or having coming on <laughs> coming on board. Uh, I'm with a celebrity now. So um, anyway, thanks for listening. You can find all of our podcasts at stltoday.com slash podcasts or by using your favorite podcast apps. And remember to support local journalism. You can subscribe at stltoday.com slash subscribe. I'm Jacob Barker with the Post-Dispatch. Thank you.